Hello, and I'm Annika Wills, and I played Polly in Doctor Who in 1966, and you are listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. This is Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 470 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where Haley hasn't moved out of the country. She's just out this week, we think. Uh, I'm Kier. I'm Jay. And I'm Julie. This week, season two of the Sarah Jane Adventures begins with a shakeup on Bannerman Road, and the return of an adversary Sarah Jane knows all too well in The Last Centaurin. It appears that Maria will be leaving for America as her dad gets a new job position. But before she can even relay the sad news, there's some alien invasion work to be done. A strange occurrence at the Tycho Deep Space Observatory uh, tips the team off that the existence of one Commander Cog, the lone survivor of the 10th Santaran Battle Fleet, who were just thwarted by the 10th Doctor in the Poison Sky. Cog plans to use thousands of satellites in Earth's orbit to rain down on nuclear reactors worldwide, and it takes the entire Sarah Jane Adventures team, along with the well-aimed shoe by Maria's mom, Chrissy, to stop the disastrous plan. You're killing innocent people! Stop the program! This isn't battle, it's murder! Your planet defied Sontar! That can never be! We will have victory over all. Nothing will stop us. Try my fight, fight, okay? This feels as much like a series closer as it does an opener, uh, with the involvement of a well, really well-known adversary, uh, some key characters preparing to leave the story entirely, and then all the emotional outpouring that goes along with that. Did did it feel a little strange to anyone else having this all at the start of a season? Yeah, normally when you get the get, you get a character leaving, it's it's towards the end of a season, so that they can kind of start fresh with the new one. So it's it was kind of weird that it's like, hey, here's your first two episodes of the season, and now we're going to change things up. Like normally, it happens in the off season, so. Yeah, it it felt like it was quite a big emotional bang, though. So maybe that's why they're in for it. Um, The only other thing I could think of, but then I realized it wasn't true, is maybe some amount of actor needed to be involved in a number of episodes. But she was in every single one from the first season. So Mm. it's not like there's even an outstanding count or something there so it's just the drama of releasing all of those characters which didn't happen during season one so i guess you got to take care of it now yeah i I think apparently the backstory is the decision uh the actor uh who played maria um wanted to focus on her studies 
um, okay. you know, they, yeah. a legitimate pursuit and things. But as a result of that, her writing her character out also means that you've got to lose two other actors. They probably were a little uh, taken aback that you've got the the mom and the dad character saying, oh, we can't come back to the show because she You mean this is my job that I don't have anymore? Oh, oh, (laughs) right. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think that it was handled really well, and I like sending them off on something positive. I liked seeing the dynamic with the family making the decision together, Mm -hmm. even though they... With or without the mom, but you know, still kind of including everyone in it. It broke a lot of the, uh, as you say, this is something that we would normally expect to see for a series closer or nearing a series, uh, a season close, so that it's something that the you kind of brace yourself for. But the fact that we know this right from the start of the episode, and then she, this information sort of gets doled out to the other characters over the course of the the two part story is an interesting flip on that usual take. Um, I, I kind of appreciated that. It's it's a uh, it distracted me a little bit from the fact that wait a second, no, she's not supposed to go now. She was supposed to go in the last story, and they wrote this wrong, and somebody made a horrible mistake. And I'm going to write a letter to the editor. Or something. I liked how it played out differently for each of the other characters when she told them as well. Right. Yeah. Everybody had their own particular reactions, and Sarah Jane's first reaction being very unusual but then again we're starting to get accustomed to her having this very odd hot take on things especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to relationships because of her backstory but always appreciate it and it comes around and resolves itself beautifully with her quote at the end Mm -hmm. about looking up at the you know stars in the same sky kind of thing and and that somewhere out there starts playing in the background it becomes very (laughs) five mouskowitz it's wonderful right it makes me yeah. feel better about my own personal reactions to things sometimes. Because look, if Sarah Jane doesn't get it right on the first try, I'm allowed to sometimes <laughs> have a reaction and then go, you know what? I'm going to take that one back and do it over again. This is just how I respond at first. <laughs> this this felt kind of like the the antithesis of Joe Grant's exit, where you had, yeah, you know, with Joe Grant, it just came all of a sudden. There was no, it's just like it doesn't make any mm. sense, and she's out the door. And okay, this was. We knew about it way ahead of time. You know, it was kind of like we saw it coming. We got to see a a proper resolution where she got to say goodbye to everybody. Everybody got to have their emotions and everything like so. It, I mean, they really put the time into like let's say goodbye to the character, and it it was great. Yeah. Plus a three what six week delay where they were packing, so you even got to see <laughs> the hey we're going to the airport moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> and just, and just the quick wave from the mom. Oh, goodbye. Eh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no emotion. Ta. Well, she's got to get that car back to Ivan, you know. <laughs> well, car back to Ivan, but most importantly, I believe, is the must have time alone with Sarah Jane to make snide remark. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an even more direct example of linking the the Sarah Jane adventures to Doctor Who proper with you know using the the story as a sort of sequel to The Poison Sky. I mean, even Torchwood didn't sync up its stories quite that closely. Um, do you think there was an overt strategy to this? Like, you know, it was, or was this just Davies and Ford being that dialed into what was happening in the, the franchise in 2008? I would hope that it was syncing the stories up in an attempt to connect what hopefully a family viewing would look like. So adults are watching Doctor Who, maybe some of the older kids younger kids, teenagers are watching Sarah Jane. It brings the whole family together, allows them 
to have some of that overlap and mm. makes it fun for everyone and really ties it together. So I, I would not be surprised if it was on purpose and delivered in that way. I was having some of the same thoughts that it was something where it was a matter to try to encourage um, ongoing engaged viewing across the demographics. But then again, it goes back to the, one of the points that we keep making about uh, Russell in particular, and that is his showmanship and his desire to make sure that he is constantly keeping his products, um, you know, on the tip of everyone's tongues. So, th- yes, he does have the f- the the family stratus um, appreciating the content and having the crossover elements to be able to encourage the adults to watch the more teen-oriented show and then the teens to be a little bit more dialed into what's happening on the the more mature, as mature as Doctor Who proper is in 2008. Hmm. It was pretty silly at the time, but yes. Um, what? But also to the to the point that it it means that in doing so, you've got investment for you know double your viewers in, in essence. I mean, even though they're probably all watching in the same household, and it means the same thing uh, to the BBC. But it also keeps the the idea of the marketing because the marketing arm was going strong at this time, as far as BBC worldwide and, and putting products out in people's hands. This was, yeah, this is around 2008. So yeah, I mean the lunch boxes and, 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 the, and the dollies and, and everything else that were, you know, in full force by this time, um, just meant that it, it had that much more, uh, uh shelf appeal. So, yeah, it worked on all regards. Um, brand management. Yeah. So both with the Slothian in Series 1 and the Centaurans in Series 2, a lot of baddies are looking for the Doctor, only to run into Sarah Jane first. Is this a plot device we keep going back to, or does it have pitfalls? I think it has both. Um, I, I would like to say, well, insofar as, yes, you could, you could keep going back to it. You, you got a, you got a, a deep you know, bullpen of villains the doctor has crossed even you know three seasons in to the to the show's revival do we like going back to it personally i do well that's what i'm saying Mm -hmm. i do i i love to be able to say oh yeah what's sarah gonna do if she doesn't have the doctor around she has to deal with this or she has to deal with them or she has to deal with those and i could probably watch that all day long it has pitfalls because not everybody is as formulaic of a viewer as i am and gets amused by the shiny and so, yeah, I could see some viewer fatigue if that were the plot device utilized that frequently. Yeah, I mean, but we've only seen it. I mean, we've seen the Slitheen twice, but the second time really was a continuation of the story we saw previously. So really, once per season, I, I feel like the, that's a good that's a good number. You're not going to get overwhelmed or you know, bored with it or anything like that or burned out. So I, I think that it's, you know, continue with the... Uh, you know, bringing them forward, that kind of thing, because it, it makes sense that, you know, aliens would show up to, to earth because the doctor spends a lot of time here. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're looking for somebody, you go to the bar that they frequent and, you know, wait for him. So, <laughs> so you just, you fail to recognize that he's got a bodyguard there and Sarah Jane. So you would say it's appealing. Yes, it would be oh, appealing. Good. Oh, okay. And, and you starts. wouldn't want to get them burned. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Although I, I think the way that this story in particular uh, dovetailed uh, Poison Sky into uh, into this storyline, and even using the footage 
from you know the the tail end of that episode where the where the uh, the tenth battalion is actually taken out, the explosions of the warships in the sky and things like that, and then taking it, and then you've got <laughs> Kang laying there with the green goop on his face and <laughs> all that good stuff. It's I think it was a, it was very well handled, um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm trying to think of the times when. This was also, I think this happened right around, this was the first SJA story to air right after uh, Stolen Earth. So you had just had the big bringing the gang back together in full force. So when you've got the mention of the fact that, no, we just had the whole thing with the moon and the aliens, you don't think that was aliens? and So that's still present in everyone's, uh, well, everyone's, uh, in the general public's mind. Uh, in their awareness of of alien species. I will say I did like that call out because it's one of those things that continues to remind us that this isn't our world. This is the world of Doctor Who. Right. And living in that universe, yes, aliens are more prevalent. They've seen them regularly. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's denying it is, well, straight up just being obtuse and saying, (laughs) no, I refuse to acknowledge, which is, I guess, fine. But also think about it from sarah jane's perspective like seriously you can't believe this (laughs) especially when you're at a tyco broadcasting station (laughs) right (laughs) you do the science guy (laughs) right space is really really big (laughs) uh uh, yeah that that's uh, i I love the fact that they had that conversation in that space um because it's one of those things where it's like taking it right out of the viewer's mind going y'all should have had your eyes open (laughs) to a lot of this (laughs) Mm -hmm. but uh, so now we're at a point now where the second series is getting rolling, and and I'm wondering if anybody picks up on anything at this point is any different about it versus the predecessor. Maybe the tone shifting a little bit, or the or the story concepts, or the or the depth of the characters. Does anything feel different, or is the needle just back down the record again? Well, I'd have to say for one thing here, I don't think we're going to see much of Maria anymore. Oh yeah, that's very adept. <laughs> Boy, you sure hit the nail on the head there. Actually, well, sorry, ha, ha. I had to I had to news radio that one. <laughs> <laughs> Narrator joke is on Julie because she makes an appearance later in the program. <laughs> I know she does, and they also leave her voicemails and call her, so I know that. But still, right? Uh, anyway, so to but your yeah, actual question, yeah. <laughs> I think that they could be taking it a little bit more seriously, hmm. which would not go amiss. I feel like they've earned that right. I'm not sure. About about the rest of it, though, after only one episode, I think I would hold judgment to see how we, how it progresses a little bit more. It did feel like a continuation. So if there was, if there is a shift, it's subtle. Um, and I'm not sure if it, I, I can't think of anything aside from obviously Maria leaving and, uh, but really it's, it does feel like it's just the next story to come in the series. So I, I'm interested to see where it goes because I do like when the show kind of has those serious moments and they had them in series one. So it's, it, it'll be interesting to see if they kind of continue that thread and where it goes from here. Cause they, they don't shy away from some of the, the heavy punches, especially for a kid's show. That's true. I'm just glad they didn't mash it all in. There you mm-hmm. go. Yeah, nicely done. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they did have a really good formula worked out right for the first, uh, yeah. for the first series and we were, we complimented it throughout that it felt like it really had all of the you know, all the beats worked out and and really knew what it wanted to convey and the kind of program that it wanted to be so that continuation makes makes sense it, i think to to your points though the the subtle difference that i see 
is just that because of all the experiences of the first series, the kids are a little less, oh, what's going on? Oh, I'm not gay. And there's none of that Scooby gang kind of reaction Mm -hmm. to stuff anymore. And they're a little bit more invested and prepared. Like they know what their roles are. Mm -hmm. Luke is more confident now. And that changes things a bit because we don't have to do as much explaining to Luke anymore. Yeah. That moves things along well. If anything, it was a little bit more Luke taking the opportunity to make some funny interpretations and explanations to the new characters they were meeting, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which was good to see from him for the start of a new series. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You felt like the kids really did kind of like they all knew their role and they just went with it. Right. So how do they replace Maria in that will be a very interesting connection point as soon and as everybody gets comfortable, you shake it back up. Exactly. <laughs> How do you solve a problem like Maria? <laughs> Break it into little tidbits, maybe. You mean tot little bites? tots? Little tots, little yeah. Tots. That took too much work. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm, hey, I'm gonna, it's, nope. Let's, let's go to the news, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe she can hash out some better jokes. <laughs> you issued a challenge. I accepted. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we finally have a bit of an explanation as to exactly why in our conversation that we had um, with the with the duo from the Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey podcast on our last episode, but why it was that Shutigatwa's casting announcement was made in such a kind of a just put it out there and see what happens uh, way on that quiet Sunday morning. It's, and now that I read it, yeah. I totally get it. And it the makes fact perfect that it didn't sense occur now. To me, yeah. I feel kind of dopey that I didn't pick up on this before. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, too, that some of us saw that news come out and then saw the photos from the red carpet later that day and even commented on it directly. That's did. true. So and, it's, yeah, the connection. Yeah. yeah. So, so what, uh, uh, Russell uh, was talking about it and said, you know, it's, it started describing how uh, how this played out. And he was like, well, you know, we, we had a... Uh, I think he called it a spectacular operation <laughs> saying that, you know, at, at 1130 AM, they're going to release a little, you know, cryptic viral tweet, let it go out and see what happens. And then at 1230, um, you know, the, the official statement gets released to the press. And then it, at 1:30, that, you know, she, she, he's on the carpet and everybody is just going absolutely crazy about it. So it's, mm-hmm. it makes sense. It, it, didn't in the moment. <laughs> I mean, partially because we're over in this country and, and we absorbed it all. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would have felt different to us if we were on or near the red carpet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, that but I think us. for him getting to experience that as your debut would, I, I imagine it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I would not, fault them for having done it that way and what amazes me even more so is that there were lies planted on purpose to throw (laughs) the scent off and make it not seem (laughs) right like that's what really gets it for me is that it was a complete secret since february as well as the lies that were sprinkled generously throughout to throw off anything that Mm, might have been known and i I didn't know that that was a ploy that they were allowed to use, but it makes a lot of sense. And I like it now and wish that I was allowed to do that in my life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Officially sanctioned red herrings could be very useful in our day to day. Yeah. 
But yeah, he, he never actually fessed up to exactly which rumors he started. Uh, <laughs> the only one that he said he was not involved with, I think, uh, there was there was one that he said, no, that wasn't me, but I wish that it was. <laughs> I can't <laughs> have to go back and check because they, they, they grilled him on all, like Ollie Alexander and, and you know, all the cast of It's a Sin that, that got floated around there. And, and, and he kind of, you know, he deflected those. But you got to wonder about things like the... Um, uh, the the Hugh Grant rumor mm-hmm. that won't go away and, and all these others. Um, I was so, I was just thinking that I mean if I were him I absolutely would have like floated that to somebody just just to take up some of the bandwidth because nobody's mm-hmm. gonna buy it but it's gonna get people talking. So yeah. yeah. But how do you get to do that? Do you just like go have coffee with someone and be like it could be this guy, could be this person? No, I think <laughs> most of those stemmed from. Um, at times there would be uh, there'd be like press junkets with other uh, with any of the cast or crew that have worked with him on recent shows, um, and they would say, you know, and they'd get asked the question, "Do you know what Russell's planning for this, that, or the other?" And they would say, "No, they have no idea." But they'd be totally honest about it. And then when the when those uh, those reports would get uh, tweeted or posted or you know Instagrammed or what have you, he would chime in in the comments and just put like a little red heart. Or something, oh, okay. and everybody goes all goofy. And you see two red hearts. Oh, three red hearts! <laughs> boop, boop, boop. You know, clacks and sounding and all kinds of things. So that yeah. or just like you know, leave your phone sitting on the table, and anytime anyone calls you, like let people see the name on it, and then pick it up. Hello, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, he is P.T. Barnum. Uh, or just he's asked directly, and then he'll say, "No, no." can neither confirm nor deny. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just really yeah. intensely like, who told you that? <laughs> <laughs> who told you that? Where did Moving you hear on? that from? Like, I got to make right. a phone call. <laughs> it's not, yeah, exactly. The omission <laughs> of truths is not a lie in and of itself. <laughs> well, one thing that we know is an absolute truth. Um, it took quite a while, uh, but Verity Lambert has now been uh, honored fully uh, with what is uh, has become sort of a, a revered um, uh, practice of the blue plaque uh, in Hammersmith. So at the BBC Studios in London, they're one of their, their main boss, base of operations. Around the building, these blue uh, honorary plaques uh, are placed along uh, for individuals who have uh, for great contributions uh, to the, the broadcasting history. Verity now finally has one of these plaques um and as of the the 29th uh both Stephen Moffat and uh and Waris Hussein were there uh to do the the pulling back of the curtain on the side of the brick building and the, the plaque to honor her for her contributions not only for uh for Doctor Who um in in being uh, the first producer but also the the work that she had done for a number of other um pivotal series uh, over the course of the of the years to follow um all the way up. I'm, I'm surprised that she was not... I don't know if they normally do these posthumously. I mean, she passed in 2007, so I don't know if this was something that that is typically done in that regard, but um, it's very cool to, to have that there, and it adds something to a walking tour now, so I guess we kind of have to go back. Oh, darn. Shoot. Shoot. Mm. Mm. Hey, you know what else is fun when people travel? You get spotted on set. Oh, yeah, but... Only in specific days wearing certain outfits. Correct. Does it really matter? Yeah, headwear is, is apparently critical uh, and bad puns about caps and things like that. I too. cannot fault the puns. That Yeah, no, that that's true. I think it's spudtastic. Yes. So 
I saw, I have to give credit, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I will give credit to, uh, to a Twitterer out there who said that it is amazing that in this year, uh, 2022, we are preparing to be witness to a 60th anniversary special for Doctor Who with Russell T. Davies as your showrunner, uh, starring Shutigatwa as the incoming Doctor, with uh, Catherine Tate and David Tennant on board, among others yet to be officially announced, and it will most likely, or at least in some part, be directed by none other than Rachel Talalay. And that's freaking awesome. You yeah. can't hear my vibrations, but I'm vibrating <laughs> in my chair. The chair is shuddering, yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she messed with us a little bit because she got spotted mm-hmm. on set, and she responded to it very well. You know, as you can see, I'm not wearing my, my, the, cap, the baseball cap that I normally wear when I'm directing, so I am, I am not directing today. Sorry, everyone. And then? And then I'm not directing today. Winky face, (laughs) winky face. Love her so much. (laughs) There's a rumor floating that this may not be the only special for the year, that other things will be released um, as a result of this celebratory uh, milestone. That would make sense. They did that for the 50th with the snippets of each doctor and right. some of the background and important people that were involved. So mm. I would love to see some of that and would look forward to her involvement. And uh, Night at the Doctor was, you know, one of those little additions too. So, uh, hey, webisodes, webisodes, webisodes. Hashtag um, revive the webisode. Right. But so I'm wondering, you know, I would I would hope that they are giving her the the full November special proper. But I would not be surprised if we have other, you know, f- like uh, long form teasers, like mm. four or five minute teaser materials, things she like that. She doesn't do just that. No, no, I'm saying not not hers. She okay. she would have the full special. <laughs> I'm saying no, yeah, she she like her style and what she'd be on for is like give me the show, or I got work to do right. because that's True. very much her caliber and quality of what she puts out. So. Mm-hmm. But you know how there's been the question I, about whether we're going to have, uh, there's going to be appearances like, will Paul McGann be making an appearance in something? And on and on and on. I would not be surprised if they did a handful of um, these little 45-second teasers where you know, you're going past a newspaper stand and there's something related to what the plot of the, you know, of whatever's gone awry in the 60th. And then, you know, someone throws a couple of pens down and picks up the paper and it's, you know, so-and-so. You know, and you just get you know, Harriet Jones or whoever that this sort of look, you know, and, and that's uh, each one of those little bits um, becomes the, the lead up teasers. Cause this has the potential of being a really big buildup for about, you know, anywhere four, six, eight weeks prior to really, really work it. And I'm sure RTD's got a, you know, a, a, a bunch of ideas about ways that he could really get things humming in the lead up to it. Including having Rachel Talley on set on her off day, making sure that people see her so that it gets excitement out there. But yeah, I agree. I, I think it's going to be amazing whatever they do with all of those brilliant minds involved. Because you got to credit her for some of the some of the coolest moments that have been given to us and, and keeping certain things under wraps really, really well. Like, yeah. The, the the Sim Master and Missy expose, the the returning of the Mondasian Cybermen and, and all the things that 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 she's you know, in doing the you know, the the whole idea of the 
the bottle episode within the confession dial and just doing mm-hmm. these masterful pieces that require a lot of intricate even uh uh, dark water and uh, and the and the whole b- reveal uh, of Missy in the was, first yeah. place. I mean, this is all stuff that just yeah. I I, I don't know. Who, there is no one else I would I would rather hand the director's chair to. Agreed. Anywhere. Yeah. Both for her skill at doing this show, and just generally, she's good at what she does. Right. Like, yeah. Tie it all together, and it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, uh, when we come back in a couple of weeks, we are going to be uh, doing our classic rewatch with Warriors of the Deep. So if the spring special was something that you had just met the Sea Devils for the first time and you thought, ah, oh, that's, that's a pretty cool concept, you'll get some Sea Devils here. Not exactly the ones <laughs> that you just got in 2022. They're going to look yeah. a little funky, but they're fun. Well, this has been episode 470 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next week, this is Jay saying, you know, Clyde saying in the forest, like, did you really expect us not to? That's an entire mood. And I'm just, that's my, my whole aesthetic now. <laughs> and this is Kier saying, Tycho killer. Qu'est-ce que c'est? Ba, 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 ba. This is Julie saying, I don't have a chip on my shoulder with how well this episode went. Nice. Nice. That joke was crispy. We'll see you next week. MLZ. Crunchy cheers. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR. And you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime. Otherwise, nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Copyright 2022. See you next week.